Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk STL. Uh, speaking in behalf of a white supremacist legacy is nothing new. And it is to the chagrin of those of us who study race that the white folk on the other side and the right wingers on the other side don't understand this is politics 101 and this is race, not even 101. What's beneath 101? It's the it's the pre-K of race. You should understand the fact that if you tell black people, look, I support a Negro. Look, there is a person of color that I am in favor of. And that person of color happens to undermine and undercut and subvert the very principles about which we are concerned, you do yourself no service by pointing to them as an example of your racial progressivism. So in that sense, they need to have a lesson in critical race theory so that they can understand what critical race theory is. And Joy, we know this. First of all, they they ain't critical. They ain't run a race in a long time that's meaningful in terms of our people, and they ain't got no theory. Well, there is a so-called alleged college professor, Eric Michael Dyson, with uh, Joy Reid. And it really a sad, sad state of affairs when a guy's whole career is based on racial divisiveness. And uh, he's written book after book after book. And for some of these people, including many on the left, including our own Cory Bush here in the St. Louis area, uh, everything always Every policy issue, every pronouncement, every statement made by anyone but a black race-pumping advocate and theologian like Eric Michael Dyson is a statement of white supremacy. Even if it comes from the newly elected Lieutenant General Winsome Sears, uh, Lieutenant Governor, sorry, uh, Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears of, of Virginia. And, and it's just so sad to see the desperate insistence on making everything about race that we see from a dwindling and, again, more desperate. Just like I, I think of those old Tarzan movies with, you know, someone that gets into the quicksand. And as they slip ever further into the quicksand, you just see their hand disappearing. Or the image of the Wicked Witch of the East in the... Uh, in the Wizard of Oz, you know, as as you know, the, Dorothy throws the water on her, and as she just you know turns into a pile of green slime, and the hand goes down. That's what's happening as the racial motives, singularly, solely, and always, of the race industry is uh, is exposed. And just like Dakota talked about how. The Chinese coming across with a hypersonic missile that can evade our anti-missile technology. And they're now nuclear-tipped. And are we developing those? Yes. But are we testing and deploying those? No. <clears throat> and, and how we need to fight back. Because the only way to beat a bully is to call them out, stand firm, stand your ground. And bullies generally will stop because they realize that their voice is not being heard by anyone except their own dwindling echo chamber. And last Tuesday's elections, not only in Virginia, but New Jersey, where the incumbent governor who has won handily election after election was narrow, was almost narrowly defeated. He only won by a percentage point. Uh, Minneapolis decided not to defund their police. Uh, we saw the truck driver on a shoestring budget of, what, 150 or a couple hundred bucks beat an incumbent state Senate Democrat leader? The president of the Democrat uh, of the Senate in uh, 
you know, in, in New York. It's amazing. And so the voices of the Cory Bushes, of the AOCs, of the um, Rashida Tlaib, uh, all of these people are, and Bernie Sanders, they're going to become insignificant. They're going to become marginalized. They're going to become just another, a, a, a laugher for a Saturday morning when we just make fun. Like, are you kidding? Eric Michael Dyson, don't tell me that if I talk about the wonderful relationships and experiences I've had with so many of my 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 colored friends and by that i mean people of color whether they're brown or black and i've had so many great experiences don't tell me that on the one hand that i'm just patronizing you and your racial baiting industry and on the other hand if i say i'm not a racist well then that's admission that i am a racist we're over that we see the logical fallacy you're only a maybe a college professor because of affirmative action could that be eric michael dyson i would propose it is and then comes Ibrahim X. Kindi. Is that his name? I don't know. This is some kind of a fabrication. That's not his real name, but that's his adopted name. Yes, Ibrahim X. Kindi. Did you see where he self-destructed? Did you see where he, quote, he, he quoted and tweeted a, uh, a piece uh, out of The Hill saying that more than a third of white students lie about their race on college admissions? And here was his tweet. Here was his comment on that. Ibram X. Kendi, who's made a uh, just a gold mine, he's made a fortune out of uh, out of uh, promulgating cr- uh, critical race therapy uh, theory throughout the country. More than a third of white students, he writes on his Twitter, lied about their race on college applications, and about half of these applicants lied about being Native American. More than three fourths of these students who lied about their race were accepted. Well, when he realized, he just shot himself in the proverbial foot. Saying that, in fact, the only the people that are being discriminated again are white college applicants, and their big chance at getting into college is lying about race, so that the racial the racial preferences now dominating college admissions are are a statement, in fact, that yes, Ibram, yes, Eric Michael Dyson, yes, Corey Bush, are you listening? Systemic racism does exist. And it's in your very diversity, inclusion, and equity programs in college and across corporate America that racism exists. And if you're, in fact, you're a white male under 50, equity is not known to you. Opportunity is not known to you. Only the ability to be fired summarily without any recourse, that is known to you. So stop it, Candy. And he did. The Twitter was deleted. The tweet was deleted. Stop it, Cory Bush. We're going to call foul on you. Stop it, AOC, when everything I eat, sleep, and excrete is racism. No more. Don't tread on us. Enough. Well, now that I got that off my chest, I want to thank Joey V for being such a great, great... I mean, he slipped... Joey V, you slipped into this like a hand in glove. Hey, today. thank Unbelievable. you. Thanks for such a great job on the program. I mean, you talk about a consummate professional managing the very complex automation and board things going on. It's like a be- sitting at the cockpit of a 747 I, trying to operate that. I don't know. If I touched it, it would blow up. Thanks for all your great work. And thanks to Max, who's out on assignment in Beverly Hills, previewing. What was the name of that uh, show that he's 
that Netflix uh, movie that he's uh, he's screening. What is it? Uh, the Power Dog, I think he said. Uh, so he's out there. Or Max checked in with us earlier. Max produced a great show. Coming up, we're going to be talking with PR expert about uh, where is former President Trump's Truth Social uh, Social Network? Is it going to start? It was supposed to start in November. I don't know. We'll talk with Adam coming up after the upcoming break. And then uh, Mark Milk. Uh, I don't know if it's Milk or Milky, M-I-L-K-E, author of Victim Cult. We'll find out when we talk to him. Uh, and he's uh, he's got a lot to say about culture and how well, we all know that culture and a victim culture is not good for the human soul. It's not good for our economy. It's not good for our communities. It's not good for our families. It doesn't help one elevate oneself. It doesn't help others. You try to elevate others to be a victim, always a victim. So we'll... Uh, We'll unpack the victim cult uh, later on as well. We want to thank Max for putting that together. Uh, I, I wanted to, to play another soundbite, and you've got that queued up, I think, uh, Joey. I want to have you listen. This has been eerily and quietly buried by the media. Have you heard much about the indictment of another one within the Clinton universe that now has been indicted by John Durham? who is building an interesting case to absolutely blow up, I think, not only the Clintons, but the Democratic machine, and perhaps even the Obama White House and the Justice Department under them. I think this is the tip of an iceberg, and George Washington University Professor Jonathan Turley agrees with me. Take a listen. Yeah, let me read one line from a Washington Post article today. The allegations cast new uncertainty in some of the past reporting on the dossier by news organizations, including the Washington Post. End quote, a quote from that newspaper. Yeah. And, you know, I've written, I don't know, two dozen articles on Durham uh, because for the last two years, people like myself have been pummeled for saying that Durham seems to be on to something. Uh, his indictments, really, each indictment showed information that has never been disclosed after multiple years. Now, keep in mind, Democratic members tried to shut down the Durham investigation. And I can now see why. I mean, this is very damaging. And it's also very unsettling uh, to see the degree to which the Clinton campaign not only funded, which they denied during the campaign, but ultimately had these key figures and actually coming up with some of these false allegations. Yeah. Well, that's Jonathan Turley, who has been previewing what he believed was going to be an entire unraveling of the Russian collusion. Trump was part of a Russian conspiracy. And not only, I mean, you talk about a 180 degree sea change in the reporting that will come. Gradually, people like the Washington Post who make this tepid, well, this has changed a little bit of the reporting that we, I mean, even they can't ignore the fact that they got it wrong cnn got it wrong buzzfeed got it wrong when they came out in the in january and and the early the late winter of uh, of 2017 with all of these false fake news allegations which were planted on the fbi by the clinton machine through the Steele dossier and those uh espousing it and at the same time promulgating it to the media so you had a media and a Justice Department under Obama, frankly, a cabal. Now, whether they were, certainly I don't think that they were in overt cahoots, 
But they were being manipulated and used by the Clinton machine. And we have said this, all of us who supported Trump and his presidency and were so disappointed that he was distracted and defanged, despite all that he all that he accomplished policy-wise, by this constant menace of the impeachment and the, and the vicious attacks that were unfounded. I, for one, can't wait to see what else Durham has under his sleeve, because I think... I think there's a lot more coming, and Turley agrees. And in the Wall Street Journal, they write that Durham's latest indictment is an important step, I think like an appetizer before the main entree, ladies and gentlemen, in unraveling what really happened in the long tail of false Russia collusion allegations against the Trump presidential campaign. First, it was the indictment a few weeks ago of uh, the attorney Sussman, who didn't indicate to the FBI that he was uh, actually working for the Clintons, or his law firm was, and there was a connection there, Perkins Coy. And now this Russian connection to the uh, the sponsor of the Steele dossier, who was feeding information, and uh, actually it was another fellow who is uh, deep in, in, the, in, the, in the Clinton network. I think you're going to see this thing go deeper and deeper, and higher and higher and potentially into the highest level of governments. This is also a damning, a damning indictment and a conviction of Robert Mueller and his uh, Mueller's absolute incompetent investigation that distracted America and the media and gave them cover to to take uh, Trump and his team off course for so long and how he just didn't cover his bases. But John Durham has. And uh, keep that image of that Durham scowling into the camera, that that uh, bearded and mustachioed uh, beer, uh, uh, Durham. I think there is more to come, and I can't wait to hear it. Well, we're going to step aside, and speaking of Donald Trump, we're going to talk where he's at with the social network, and maybe what Adam Rizzieri, who's a PR expert, thinks not only of where that's going, but where the de- Democratic PR machine is going to go, trying to handle an extreme on the left, a few moderates in the center, and who knows where, all taking cover to distance themselves from both of those factions on the rest of the Democratic Party when we come back here on the Tolbert Show. It's 20 after the hour. Stay with me here on NewstalkSTL.com. Hey, sign up for the Douglas Murray event. If you haven't already gotten tickets, that's coming up this Wednesday. Come out and say hi to all of us, uh, to many of us uh, on air that will be there. I uh, hope to say hi to you that evening as well and uh while you're at it make sure to tell your friends and family all about news talk stl the news talk stl.com on the apps ios android 1019 941 and 9913 hd3 we'll be back well we're back as the total show rolls along on this saturday morning hey don't forget to turn your clocks back fall back at 2 a.m i think most of us actually set them back when we go to bed but um don't want to miss uh, church or synagogue or wherever you're uh, needing to be tomorrow morning because, uh, you, you know, you'd be an hour late if you do that. I guess you'd be an hour early, wouldn't you? No, I guess you'd be an hour late. At any rate, it's going to get tougher to get up in a deer stand uh, that early uh, because now it'll be different time and uh, start getting to light at 6 o'clock rather than 7 o'clock. Ouch. And by the way, if you are uh, hunting, I know many of you out there hunt and uh, it's bird hunting season. It's also deer hunting. Make sure that you... Um, if, if you're up in a deer stand that you're careful, uh, you know, wear your harness. Be, be careful. Don't fall out. Every year at our hospital, we see several uh, hunting-related injuries, uh, sometimes uh, ballistic injuries, sometimes uh, falling out of a stand. So be careful. And, um, and these days with the technology, you can drop a pin so that your loved one, your friend, your partner, uh, hunting partner knows, uh, you know, knows where you're at. Not a bad idea. Well, speaking of technology, you want to talk with Adam Rizzieri. 
who is the chief marketing officer at Agency Partner Interactive, and uh, talk with him about all things tech because that's his world is bridging the gap between uh, digital and traditional technology and marketing. And um, you can uh, get in touch with him uh, on Twitter as well. How you doing, uh, Adam? Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, sir. Great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, the Trump social network, Truth Social. I mean, they've had some fits and starts. Uh, about a, a few weeks ago, it was reported that <clears throat> there was a problem with a vendor. I guess they weren't paying their bills or something. I don't know, they, some breach of contract issue. And I, I'd never heard if they got over that. But Trump was supposed to launch a beta launch in November. Where, where do we stand on Trump's Truth Social network? Yeah, so great question. First of all, I'm really excited about this. And uh, specific to, you know, the, the code behind Truth Social, it's, it's actually the same code base that powers Gab. And so it's an open source software that uh, I think right now, the, the creator of that particular software, it's called Mastodon. He's basically just saying, hey, listen, guys, if you're going to use this, this code base, uh, make sure it's publicly available and it's 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 just continues to be open source. Uh, so I, I don't know the the specific nature of the code behind Truth Social. There may be some some unique qualities to it, but but basically, just to, from a user perspective, here we are. It's November sixth, and we are expecting this this private release of the platform to to be available to a, a select group of of, uh, of lucky people to to be on the platform and test it out, beat it up a little bit, and try to help the team you know get some early data that they can use to make the user experience fantastic. Uh, the, the bigger release for, for, the, for the masses that will be coming up early in, in Q1 of, of 2022, and I can't wait. I'm really excited for that. Uh, you know, we, we've seen competing concepts come to the market. Obviously, Parler was, was certainly one of the ones that I was excited about early on just because I've personally been shut down and censored by big tech, and it's kind of a slap in the face. When you have some software engineer tell you that you don't know what you're talking about when, you know, maybe you have uh, a patent on the matter or, you know, uh, you have special credentials that support that you know what you're talking about. Uh, certainly as a physician, uh, when you when you give medical opinions, you, you know what the heck you're talking about. So when you have some Google engineer saying you don't, you know, it's just like, well, hey, buddy, what are you, what are you talking about? Where are you coming from? Yeah. Oh, political right. bias. Very interesting. Now, the thing about Parler that was exciting was just their fast growth in users. You know, at one point, Dan Bongino noted they were acquiring thousands of users per minute. And in fact, Parler as a, as a platform, I mean, it, it was number one on both the App Store and Google Play for downloads. Um, just coming off of uh, off of about a week or so of being in the in the four or five hundred the, the the thousands in terms of its rank on the App Store, so mm-hmm. the growth was fantastic. And, and I think Twitter really saw that as a huge threat to to what they had built over time. And you know, Twitter and Amazon actually inked a really lucrative multi year hosting deal in December, uh, just right before Parler ended up getting yanked down from the app stores. So it's almost like you had some buddies over there at, at uh, Google and, and, and Amazon and Apple saying, Oh, don't worry, Jack, we'll take care of you, buddy. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure that Parler doesn't uh, creep onto your market share. Uh, so, you know, that was just really just kind of a disgrace to see what happened there with Parler. Um, the thing that Parler didn't have was just direct line of access to Tim Cook. Uh, Truth Social, President Trump, Tim Cook, I mean, tr- t- Tim Cook and, and President Trump had a, have a very, <clears throat> I would say, positive relationship. It's a working relationship, and wow. you know, Trump's got Tim Cook on speed dial. So if there are issues that come between Truth Social and just ha- the ability to have the app on, on, on the Apple Store, um, President Trump can reach out to Tim Cook directly. 
That's so, interesting, uh, Adam, because I mean, uh, Tim Tim Cook has expressed publicly a lot of very progressive ideas. I mean, publicly, I know he's he's talked about the spreading of false information. He's been very right. concerned about that. So. Uh, well, there'll be a. I would anticipate uh, if we can speculate what kind of content will predominate on Truth Social. I imagine Cook is going to have to have a a day of reckoning with himself to figure out is he going to be a, a free <laughs> yeah. speech warrior or not. Right? I mean, that's got to come whether they're friends or not. You know, Tim Cook's kind of a different animal, and, and I mean that positively relative to the others over there in, in big tech. Uh, he's a guy who basically makes it hard for Facebook to continue to advertise to iOS users, uh, making making the terms of consent to, um, you know, to, to allow a, a user to be more mindful of what they're actually letting advertisers get access to from a data perspective. So... You know, Tim Cook might be a little bit different. I, I know for a lot, for a lot of political issues, he's definitely uh, not friends with us. But uh, but specific to Truth Social, uh, Trump somehow has his ear. So there's That's that. Good. Right? Now, now for an application to be successful, you have to be able to give your users a great experience. And and for a social app, there's kind of a chicken egg sort of scenario. You know, you have to have a big user base so that you have vibrant conversations and a lot of activity taking place. Um, so you have to have the users first of all. But then you also have to have enough data behind your platform to give those users just a really, really good experience. You know, it's it's kind of a fast load time. Uh, you can't have a lot of clunky issues and bugs that kind of impact your ability to, to navigate the platform. So yeah. you need money to, to optimize that. I mean, Truth Social on day one, they started out with $290 million of cash on hand. Uh, they literally went from a valuation on a Thursday of $870 million to a Friday having a valuation of $3.6 billion. So mm. this company has the cash on hand to optimize the platform. And President Trump by himself, he had almost 152 million followers across his social platforms before he was deplatformed. So, you know, if his, platform, if his followers alone come to True Social, I mean, he's a success on day one. Okay, so you're thinking that Truth Social... Adam Rizieri is likely to be more successful than Trump University, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a real appetite for for a a uh, a social media solution, a, a tech solution that allows actual free speech to take place. And I think people now there, there's a strong public distrust for Facebook. There's a strong public distrust for Twitter. I mean, everyone knows that the liberal echo chamber on Twitter. You say anything positive or anything remotely libertarian or conservative on Twitter, and immediately you're attacked by by the troll army. So, you know, I, I think people want a, a social ability. People want a platform that enables that sort of conversation to take place. And and truth social, they're coming to the to the table saying, hey, listen, we're going to have a big ten approach. You know, you can have your crazy liberal uncle on the platform, but then you could also have your, your more moderate on the platform as well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you come from. We're not going to censor you. May the, may the best ideas win. May the best ideas prevail. And so I think well, to me, see Truth Social come to the table and offer that ability, it's, it's a great thing to see. Well, let me ask you this. In, in one of the reports I read on, um, on Truth Social uh, out of uh, Immersive Reader, they make an interesting point. They said that... Um, Parler and Gab had positioned themselves as free speech platforms, but but both reportedly had issues with users, now they say spreading misinformation, but pornography as well as anti-Semitic views and racist views. Will this be an Correct. absolutely uncurated platform, and isn't there at some point some threat to that or not? So obviously, if you're going to do anything that's illegal, uh, I know Parler obviously was just like, hey, listen, if you're going to put 
disgusting content on here like child pornography, you know, that's going to be taken down real quickly and you will be reported to law enforcement. Illegal content has no place on this platform. And I, and I think that goes without saying. I hope it does. Um, but that being said, uh, there is a solution, I believe, to terrible stuff like anti-Semitic content. And if you verify the, uh, the identity of your users as they join the platform so that, you know, you don't have some fake handle representing uh, the, the speech of, of an individual, but in fact, you know who that person is, then that person is, is going to be held accountable to what they say, right? And, and so it's, you, you don't have just, like, just some, some anonymous troll handle that's spewing hate. You know who that is, right? And so you can have a community that sort of identifies people that are disgusting, and then you can also identify people that are experts and that are worth listening to. Right. Well, I think we all know, and while Facebook and Twitter would never admit that they're not about omitting generally consensus agreeable um unacceptable content they're more about political <laughs> censorship i think we all know like one supreme court justice once said when you see when you know when you know when you see pornography or obscenity you know it right when you when something's obscene you know it it's just generally it's like natural law right we know that hey if we can we're talking with adam Rissieri, who's a, a pr expert and chief marketing officer at agency partner interactive um I, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about the coming midterms in the context of what we saw in Virginia and even very liberal jurisdictions like Minneapolis and Seattle, where, I mean, really, you know, there, there was a turn towards sensible, you know, uh, common sense legislation or striking down, defunding the police, et cetera. Right. Um, right. Okay. But we know that these, the Twitters, the Facebooks, the, you know, of the world, uh, the Googles are, are going to have a tremendous impact on the midterms and beyond. And if, if they're able to carve out voices from the right and the libertarian voices and the conservatarian voices, how, how would you advise conservative candidates, conservative PACs to approach a digital world at which they're at risk if they just do one misstep of being carved out totally going forward? You know, I, I think one of the things that, that Youngkin specifically showed us was that if you run a local contest, you have a chance of winning. And, you know, McAuliffe lost because he was campaigning against someone who wasn't on the ticket. He was campaigning against President Trump, and he was not appealing to the voters or to the issues that they really cared about. So, you know, I think knowing where your knowing where your constituents are in terms of where they spend their time is definitely step one. And that's just kind of a basic marketing uh, sprint there. Do your marketing research and know where your people spend their time and then be there when it, when it matters. And Youngkin did that. You know, it's looking to the, the, the midterms. I, I do have some real concerns with Facebook. I mean, here you have Facebook and it's, it's kind of it's it's really I think governed by Nick Clegg, who is a former British parliamentarian, very liberal guy, and and he's the one that basically enforces Facebook's censorship decisions. Uh, it's not this third party oversight board that they sort of point to, and this is a guy that you know literally made the decision. Okay, well we'll, we'll allow President Trump back on Facebook the month after the midterms, which is just a disgrace. So you know that's that's one thing I think that. People who are really concerned about free speech, people that are really concerned about the ability to uh, really ensure the, the integrity of our country from an election perspective and also from a communication perspective, they know that they have to look beyond just Facebook and Twitter for, uh, for, for conversations that matter. And so if True Social is able to get off the ground fast enough in the first quarter, you know, I do think that you'll find a, a strong ability to connect with libertarian and conservative voters through that alone. But then, of course, you've also got to be present somehow through, through Facebook 
Facebook groups and other uh, social media platforms to appeal to those who might be more on the left, because there are a lot of people on the left that just need to connect with, I think, a more conservative message that they truly actually, when they ask themselves an honest question, they can they can relate to. I, I believe that there are a lot of voters that maybe wouldn't look to true social traditionally, but in fact would agree with a lot of the things that come out of the right. So, um, you know, kind of positioning uh, true social, if, if you're going to look to that platform, uh, just as an individual platform, uh, ensuring that the marketing effort is able to acquire those type of users by saying, hey, listen, this is not just a, a place for the right, but this is a place for the left as well. Uh, let's get on here and let's have an honest conversation. For, um, for those of us, I, I did read the other day, Adam, that um, there may be a workaround for those who want to engage persuadable independence and after all it's the independence in the middle that that make the difference in the elections right i mean yeah everyone knows where the base is going to go it's always that that slice in the middle that that makes the difference as they did right. in virginia right. um i've heard that there is a workaround it, facebook groups you mentioned that is that is that a way to sort of fly under the radar if you will on the facebook censorship or not for, for right now, it, it, it kind of is. I don't like it just in concept because I think it, it in a lot of ways further segregates conversations. Uh, but I, I do have a customer, a client of mine. It's the Walkaway Campaign. And the Walkaway Campaign basically is a group of former liberals that uh, try to convert existing liberals over into to GOP voters. So, you know, they've, they've been very successful at using Facebook groups to, uh, to convert people over to, to the right side of the fence, um, creating groups that are very specific to locations. You know, this is the Texas group, this is the Oklahoma group, this is the Missouri group, um, yeah. and, and just kind of trying to create more of a grassroots sort of conversation right. that uh, results in, in, in great votes. Yeah, well, that's I agree with you. I mean, I can tell you as a conservative who tries to um, inspire and 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 change people's minds through, you know, what I consider reasonable, respectful talk, whether it's about medical issues of vaccination, whatever, or politically, I have often found that there are there are people that if, while they disagree with me, we can have great conversations. There are those people, too, on Twitter and others where after a couple of back and forth, you realize it's like, bye bye. We, we just can't be talking. We're, we're not not going to connect. So <laughs> right. I, I, I'm glad to hear you say there are there are ways to to get around that vitriol and that hatred and where people just draw a line in the sand and truth social is one of them and maybe facebook groups as well adam i hope that you'll uh, you'll stay in touch with us as the truth social uh, develops and as the campaigns move forward a lot of a lot of wisdom coming from adam rizzieri there thank you my friend for being a part of the show i appreciate it sir thank you all right, there he is, Adam Rizzieri, uh, and uh, you can get a hold of him on Twitter, of course, at Adam Rizzieri. Hey, we'll come back and talk with Mark Milkey about the victim cult and uh, why he writes about it, what it means for our uh, society, where it's damaging us, and how to reverse that trend, because it is endemic. Everyone, it's fashionable to be a victim these days, right? Because then it's not your fault. You have no play. It wasn't your fault. We'll be right back after a few words from our sponsors. Make sure and patronize these folks to sponsor this great, great radio station. And uh, when you need their services, please give them a nod, would you? Because that's the reason we are here. Welcome home on News Talk STL. Randy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk STL. Well, welcome back to the program. I don't know where the time has gone. I blink and the three hours are over, but that's because we're uh, we're covering a broad range of topics. And I hope uh, 
Hope you enjoy some of the detailed analysis from our various experts. If you have any ideas uh, throughout the week that you'd like to bring to the table, uh, you know, touch base with me at Randy Tobler MD on Twitter uh, through NewstalkSTL.com or uh, Max, the producer at Maximilian Foise. Want to thank Joey V. I like that. I'm it, the next time I have a dispute with someone, I'm gonna I'm gonna do like, hey, I got a friend named Joey V. We're going to come and visit you, right? Forget Joey V on the uh, on the board today helping out. Hey, I've been looking forward to talking to our uh, our guest uh, for this segment. Mark Milkey has written a book called Victim Cult. And uh, the victim cult is so important. It is pervasive. And it is, uh, in Mark's opinion, and I think most of us would agree, uh, ruining or threatening to ruin our society. Mark, thanks for joining me this morning on a, on a Saturday morning. Appreciate your time. You bet. Thanks for having me on, Randy. Hey, so uh, you and I must, and so many of the listeners must have been uh, separated at birth because I think we we share that same that that same fear that, um, you know, this this convenient oh it's not my fault it's your fault the blame and shame game um, is not good for anyone including the individual who is feeling like they're a victim. But you have eloquently done that in this book. I have to commend you, and the the reviews are just overwhelmingly positive. So why? I mean, wh- what what? What got your goat about the victim cult, and why write the book? Well, uh, I'm up here in Canada, and I first noticed that uh, chiefs on, on what, what Americans might call Indian reserves or native reservations, there's a difference. Those who look back and got stuck in the past um, with the wrongs in the past that happened, um, they and their reserves never succeeded. But those that looked forward and said, look, some, some awful stuff happened in history, but we better figure out how to succeed today. Well, it's the latter group that actually succeeded in Canada, and it's the same thing in the United States, right, on native reservations. I'd also say my observation is that some, and I emphasize only some, black American leaders who um, want to look back 150 years or 300 years and blame everything today on the past, that's also a mistake. Whereas those uh, American leaders, whether it's uh, Thomas Sowell, the famous black economist, or others, who say, look, let's look at current conditions today and figure out what's happening and figure out how to move forward, that leads to success, not the opposite. Yeah, you're right, and I, I don't know if you saw the uh, the documentary on Clarence Thomas, um, uh, created, I think, All Created Equal or something. I saw it in a D.C. Uh, theater, oh, a year and a half ago, right before, well, more than that, it was uh, winter of 2020, right before the pandemic. There were three people, other than my wife and I, sitting in that theater, and it was a compelling thing, and, you know, here's a guy, like Condoleezza Rice, I mean, grew up in poverty, but had sort of traditional nuclear family backgrounds, uh, and and you know, we're able to, to succeed and live the American dream and do fabulously and not be a victim. And I think it's sad, isn't it, that those who are making an entire industry and a fortune out of victimization, I think of Ibram Kendi and others, um, dis- they disrespect and dismiss the success of, you know, their fellow, you know, their fellow folks that share the same race. And somehow, you know, their Uncle Tom's and Uncle Tomasitas. I, I can't rationally unpack that. Can you? Well, you're on to something. It's one of the reasons I wrote The Victim Cult. I mean, I sat across from Justice Thomas's wife um, some years ago at a conference. Uh, I think it was in Washington, D.C., actually. And and what Justice Thomas is, um, if memory serves, uh, his, his wife was not the same skin color as him. This is a tremendous success. I mean, it's, it's great progress uh, in American life. 
Um, and why would anybody turn the clock back and say, listen, you know, as if nothing has changed since, what, 1963, 1943, as if the United States hasn't made tremendous progress? I mean, you hear this all the time today. I think it's actually, um, unfortunately, I think it's, it's endemic to human nature, where when something goes wrong, our first impulse is not to look at ourselves or our immediate surroundings and say, what led to this? But sometimes it's just easy to blame someone else. And one of the classic stories they start with in the victim cult is the story of Adam and I mean, most of your listeners will be familiar. I mean, uh, God says, you know, don't pick the fruit. What do they do? They pick the fruit. And Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. You know, later on in, in the Genesis story, you also see Cain upset when God doesn't accept a sacrifice. Uh, who does he get mad at? You know, he doesn't take issue with God, as some Old Testament figures do. He instead blames his brother Abel and murders him. We have this tendency in, in human nature that uh, we don't want to look at our own actions first, because that might be the closer reason for something. We, we tend to reflexively blame others until we calm down and go, hmm, maybe, maybe there are other things going on here that have led to current outcomes. This, by the way, is the problem with Abraham Kendi's uh, argument. He, he blames everything on race, any disparity. And what I do in the victim call is I show quite clearly, look, there are other factors that lead to different outcomes and incomes. I mean, look at education. I mean, those with a university degree in the United States, black Americans, you know, 23% of black Americans have a bachelor's degree. Well, Korean Americans, 61% of them have a bachelor's degree. Taiwanese Americans, 79%. Of course, you're going to have different outcomes. And often it has to do with education, not other factors that, um, unfortunately, people like, uh, like Candy point to. Yeah, but of course, they will counter and say, well, but these people don't have a fair shot at education because of the systemic racism in admissions. And even before that, it starts in pre-K. And, uh, you know, and then and then I'm sure you saw where Kendi had to take a, a tweet off in which he he basically shot himself in the foot. He made the opposite argument when he said that a large swath of, uh, of American white college applicants are having to lie or are lying because that's the way they figure they're going to get in. They say they're a minority or a quarter of them, I think, were, were saying they were Native Americans. So he had to right. delete that tweet because that, that, that basically made our point, didn't it? <laughs> well, it did. And here's the other part of it as well. By this focus on the past, uh, it's a bit of a tunnel vision, um, which I think traps you in the past, as opposed to analyzing others who have succeeded in history and now and, and asking why that is. I mean, let's look at one of the most tragic examples in human history. I mean, um, you know, everyone knows the story of, of Jews post, you know, 1945 and during, during the war. Um, but, you know, they moved on to Buenos Aires, to Toronto, to New York to Chicago, to other cities across the world, um, and succeeded individually and collectively as groups. Uh, and they did so because, uh, in one sense, they had to uh, start over. Um, they, they, there's no shortage of tragedies in history. And in, in the victim cult, I don't deny actual um, discrimination or um, you know, the fact that uh, there, are, there are examples of victimization in history now. But one of the things I tried to do in the victim cult is also give a positive example. Let's take a look at early Asian American experiences between 1850 in 1950, heavily discriminatory policy um, in, in the United States and, in fact, around you know, much of the Western world. Nonetheless, what they did is they refused to be victims. And there are some great stories, for example, of early entrepreneurs in San Francisco and Chicago and elsewhere pushing back in the courts, pushing back in politics, saying, look, uh, we want to succeed here just as, as any other American. We want to become Americans in some cases. So they pushed back, and in some cases they were successful, some cases not, but they they pushed back for literally 100 years. And one of the interesting things about uh, early Asian Americans, uh, anyone I discovered doing research for the victim cult, was that uh, there was a great 
focus in education as a way to succeed. So if you look at the statistics, like 1910, 1910, 1920 rather, 1930, you find that Asian American kids were attending high school at rates in college and graduating from college at rates higher than white Americans by 1920, 1930. And this is the most discriminatory period in American history against uh, those of Asian descent. Nevertheless, they are succeeding. And in fact, that education accomplishment sets the stage for future success for what I'd call the Pacific class, right? Those of Asian you know, ancestry in the United States. Well, it's it's so well done, well researched, and level headed, and just brilliant writing. I can't wait to read the rest of it. I've just started to preview it, and I thank you for writing it and for being there. I think the message I'm taking home is: Hey, acknowledge discrimination, uh, injustice, uh, injustice where it is, but at the same time, aspire to greatness. And you know, uh, you can do both. And right, I mean, that's that's what I'm getting. Well, and it's very un-American to, to wallow. I mean, look. Yeah, yeah, again, yeah. I, well, Mark, we, get, we I grew up in Canada. I, I you know, ancestry in Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, you know, I could have ended up on either side of the border. You're right. What I find right. fascinating is that, you know, Americans deliberately I, created the republic that you have in a sense of optimism, a can-do right. optimism. And it's very I mean, un-American, in my observation, to, right. to live as a victim, to think as a victim. Mark Milkey, we got to run. Thanks for being with us again. It's victimcult.com, folks. Don't miss it. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Guys, we'll see you next week. Take a listen to this as it is launched by Joey V here. Thanks for being with me. We'll see you next week. Remember, onward and upward to the glory of God. Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me as he died to make men whole.